Hey guys, Kirsten here. Today I am interviewing Jess McLaughlin with Jess McLaughlin Media. She is an incredible photographer and journalist. Some of her works that she has done with different clients include Patagonia, Yeti, Orvis, Costa, Field Ethos, the U.S. Army, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Outside Magazine, as well as uh, many countries that she's done different tourism events with. So without further ado, Jess, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> I'm super pumped you're here. You're, I've told you for years that you need to write a book. So hopefully this is the start <laughs> of that. So tell me, uh, how did you get here today from the the journalism aspect and the photography aspect how that can't be an easy world it's a fun world and a really challenging world um i came into it kind of through many back doors i was chucked out of eighth grade i was thrown out of eighth grade in a private school for arguing with a, a logic and rhetoric teacher and um <laughs> decided that i wasn't I wasn't made for kind of the traditional paths at that point. I guess that was a good lesson of, I do bad things when I'm bored. So <laughs> let's find a career where I won't be bored. Yeah. And had always written. I think my first publication was in like Highlights Magazine as a kid, which I hope is still around. I'm not sure if it is. Um, and always written, always played with photos. I had a career as an equestrian that took me um, to Canada and Sweden in my, I think I was 16 and 17. So living abroad at a young age by myself, just figuring it out and learning. Mm -hmm. It was a great way to get an education on how the world worked. And I started to see stories that I wanted to tell. And so in 2009, I was living, I'm a Montana kid, born and raised, living back in uh, Bozeman and very broke. I think my monthly grocery budget was $100 a month, working three jobs and came across a story. Someone was trying to put a, a dam on a very historic lake in Montana mm. near West Yellowstone. And I was 19 at the time and got kind of self-righteously pissed off <laughs> and said, I want to write this story. And it was an Australian company coming in. I I played kind of the dumb young chick, got the story, got the interviews I needed for the story. A magazine agreed to run the story, but not without photo evidence of this proposed mm. dam site. And so I... I ate rice and beans for a few more months and kind of starved, saved up, got my first DSLR digital camera and snuck on this site, a close construction site, got the photos and the story was published. So that to me was really a an illuminating experience of words plus images can do a lot of good. Mm -hmm. They can do a lot of damage in bad hands, but they can do a lot yeah. of good when combined. So was that the changing point for you in 2009? I think so. That yeah, was kind that's of when, when you knew this was this was your lane. That was what I wanted to do. And it became a vehicle to travel. Um, I'm very much a, a blue collar kid. And so it was a great way to see the world and see things I would otherwise have no business seeing or mm -hmm. doing. So let's talk about uh, all the places you've lived, because I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> and it's, it gives you a diversity that someone who's lived in the same place their whole life may not have just because mm -hmm. they haven't seen different cultures, different people, different things like that. So Absolutely. go into it. Um, Let's start with the States. Start with the States. We'll have to see if I can remember. I made, I made the mistake when I turned 30 of printing out a U.S. map and drawing lines for every move I made over six months. And I was 30 and had made 28 moves. Mm. So it's, it's a lot of hopping around. Uh, but somehow always gravitate back towards 
Utah, Texas, Montana, kind of the western half of the country. I also mm-hmm. had a blip in North Dakota and Vermont. Um, Washington State for a while. have bounced around quite a bit. And then abroad, lived in, in Sweden and Canada, and then Russia for a while, which was extremely educational. <laughs> so. Yeah, we'll get into more of that later. Um, so... Fun fact, let's talk about how we know each other. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Throwing it way back to grade school. Grade school. Um, we were two tomboys running around, what, second, third, and fourth grade? Yep. I Salt think, Lake City. In Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. Um, playing soccer in the playground. I was always breaking bones. Yes. And always chasing after <laughs> you and your soccer prowess, trying to, oh, please. to have fun with the boys out on the playground. Yeah, we were definitely the more the tomboys that found a friendship very quickly because yes. we were the only ones like We were that. the only ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And here we are today. Yeah. The world's very funny. Who would have guessed? Yeah. Who would have guessed? But the one good thing about social media, that's how I found you years later. Right. Was Facebook, I yeah. think. And I reached out to you and then the rest is history. We reconnected. And now and we get a freaking work together, which is awesome. I get to come see North Carolina for the first time, which is fantastic. Yeah. So. Yeah. The, of all these states that you have, that you've lived in, I don't see anything on the East Coast. No, I had a blip in Vermont for like a year and a half. That doesn't count. Doesn't really count. No, <laughs> no. that's true. That's its own little world up there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the North. Yeah. So I've I've been to South Carolina briefly for some photo shoots before, but I think other than driving through a corner of the state, this is my first time in North Carolina. So what is the best, either where you learned the most about yourself or mm. your development as a photographer and journalist or just the place you enjoyed living the most of all the countries and states, all of it? It's a loaded question. I'm, yes. I think home is where you make it. And honestly, for me now, it's where my my camera kit is and my, my Pelican case is. They're sitting outside the door. We're here in Fieldcraft, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And I would be happy saying, okay, give me months on the road with the kit I have here with me. Mm-hmm. I'm currently based in Missoula, Montana, and looking to move again, but I don't know where. So which place did you find yourself the most? Because, you know, we think we know who we are and then we grow up more and we're like, mm. gosh, I had no clue. Right. You know? So I'm, where where do you think you developed most of how you see yourself today? Russia was really formative. And I think we'll, we'll probably get into that later. Well, let's get but into it now. When, all right. <laughs> um, so I, I spent months, a season working at a a fly fishing camp above the Arctic Circle near Murmansk, so the Kola Peninsula in Russia. And you're above the Arctic Circle. It's very austere conditions. Mm -hmm. The camp was about a two and a half hour helicopter ride in a Mi-8 from Murmansk. And once we arrive early in the season, you fly out to this camp and you're you're in a Russian camp with 30 odd Russian staff for nine months for this Mm -hmm. season. And I was there working as the assistant camp manager, so helping manage a guide team and logistics and helicopter schedules, which was a great exercise for me just for austere environment management, Mm -hmm. trying to make sure staff was where they needed to be, guests are paying a lot of money to come into this fishing lodge. Mm -hmm. How do we keep them safe in a not necessarily safe environment? Yeah. Um, How old were you? I was 22. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 24. Actually, I take it back. I was 24. Still young. Still young. <laughs> um, and I had many strikes against myself. I Most of the staff, obviously, was, 
was Russia. It's not a place where people necessarily say, oh, I want to go to the Russian Arctic and work. It's not right. a, a popular destination to go log some hours. Mm -hmm. uh, what made you go out there? I was headhunted. I had worked a bit in the fly fishing industry, which is still where I do a lot of my, my travel and my business. Mm -hmm. And a friend of a friend of a friend had recommended me to the, the camp owner who's so Russian. So they found you. They found me. And I got an email. I was living in Austin, Texas at the time. I got an email in mid-February saying, hey, how could you, how would you like to come to Russia in four weeks? And trying to get a Russian work visa in four weeks is a fascinating exercise in patience mm -hmm. and mild panic. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was a very quick turnaround on that. I think my visa actually arrived three days before I left. Oh, wow. So it was kind of a panic of, sure, I'll take the job. Let's do some phone calls. Let's send the paperwork off and try and get everything set and get all my immunizations and get everything up to date. Mm -hmm. So it happened very quickly. And suddenly I was... It was uh, quick in and then quick out, huh? It was quick in and quick out. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about while you were there, you were running the logistics and the yeah. ins and outs for this fishing company. Correct. And... What what all did that entail, that job? Uh, it entailed a lot of managing guide team, making sure people were where they needed to be, managing helicopter schedules. We had weekly helicopters come in every Thursday for supplies. Turnover day for clients was Saturday. I worked under a, a camp manager who was the only other American in town, uh, in town, in camp. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the guy drank a lot and decided mid-season, oh, there's an American female, one of two females in camp, I'm bored, I want to sleep with her. Mm. So it very quickly became a situation of the guy drinks, he's becoming aggressive, coming into my tent at night, and I found myself stuck out in the middle of nowhere having to keep my guard up at all times. Mm -hmm. And it was very instructional on situational awareness and security in an environment that inherently is not secure. Yeah, and in an environment where you can't just, it's not like you're in America. Exactly. Where you can have your concealed carry permit or different yeah. aspects of safety protocol that you can have in your own homeland. Exactly. You're in a foreign country in the middle of nowhere in yeah. this foreign country where you had to take a helicopter to get there, right? Exactly. Yeah. There yeah. was no roads. I mean, that's that's got to be intimidating on its own. So the travel aspect, you, you're, you're very experienced, and we'll get into more of this later, but if you could tell yourself mm. from now at 30, how old 34, 34, yeah. yeah, or 34, yeah. <laughs> yeah. At 34, if you could tell your 24-year-old self who mm. was still in the beginning, figuring it out and, you know, starting to now travel abroad by herself. Absolutely. Which being a female is a, a different mm -hmm. aspect that, that you bring in. But anybody who travels alone, especially to foreign countries, what would you tell that self if you could? I think go into the situation with more awareness of the situation you're putting yourself in. Mm. I, I basically said at 24, yeah, it's a job in the Russian Arctic. It's in fly fishing. I know I'm going to be, I have the skill set to do it and I'm going to learn a lot. Sure, I'll go. And I, I knew roughly who was in camp. I did not do my due diligence to research backgrounds on those people hmm. and in so much as you could i think right. you know my russian staff i wouldn't have been able to find much but the mm -hmm. americans certainly i could mm -hmm. and 
I think it's a maturity thing and something you're not going to pick up unless you're in a situation like that. Mm-hmm. I Would you venture to say that you are far more situationally aware now just from all of the experiences that you've had, like not even necessarily training, but just being forced into these crazy situations that, I mean, you like I said, you need to write a freaking book, <laughs> but that maybe the naive self, you do you think it's fair to say something I always teach in our personal security course is we tend to deny, mm-hmm. oh, this isn't really happening. This can't, this can't be the situation yeah. and cause ourselves, we are, we are not causing it to happen, but allowing maybe somebody to cross certain lines that the me now would be like, uh, you can go F off. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think I was, I mean, I was young and naive. Yeah. And I think I- And excited. And excited. I was in a foreign country. I was learning. I was getting to, to make new friends, see new places. And I ignored several warning signs. Look, it was obvious the guy was a drunk. Mm-hmm. And it was obvious he had issues with the Russian staff. I went in there and saw that and didn't know where the issue lay. Mm-hmm. You know, is, is he the problem? Are, are my Russians a problem? And it became fairly apparent. I mean, you can spot problem people pretty quickly. Yeah. And it became apparent that this guy was the issue. And I think, again, it's something you're not going to learn unless you're in a situation that becomes visceral very quickly. Well, and on top of it, you were in a severe helicopter crash. So you were yeah. seriously injured and couldn't yeah. even physically defend yourself. Talk about that a little yeah. bit just because it's a crazy story. <laughs> Russia Russia was a learning experience. Yeah. Um, so I, I was in a, I'll call it a really uncomfortable landing in one of the supply helicopters. Uh, it was a crash. <laughs> Anyways. Um, anyway, yeah. Me, helicopters are great. I love, like, the big Russian helicopters are phenomenal workhorses, but when they come down, they apparently tend to come down hard. Mm-hmm. And was in a helicopter with two Russian, two of my guides and the pilot doing a supply run, our Thursday supply run that we do every week. We flew to a town called Lobozero, which was halfway between our camp and Murmansk little more closer towards Murmansk and came in for a landing and pilot had probably been drinking realistically it's Russia mm. yeah um, these things happen vodka for breakfast vodka for breakfast lunch and dinner yeah uh, dead serious and that's just the culture there in camp and came in for a landing caught an updraft a downdraft something my Russian wasn't good enough to get it and I was not asking for details at this point in time <laughs> right and I was stretched out on one of the benches in the MEA I mean these helicopters are there's no nice bench seating where you get in and buckle up carefully. Mm-hmm. It's it's get in, throw your your stuff in and go. Mm-hmm. And was sleeping on one of these bench seats. We came in, bounced hard on the, the pad. There's no tarmac. It's a gravel pad in a little village. Popped back up again. Helicopter rotated on its side. I ended up high side and went flying mm-hmm. and got banged up pretty good. Messed my back up, had broken ribs, broken collarbone. Um, Came away with a lot of burns. And the burns were from the wiring spark. Wiring. Yeah. yeah. They all have like exposed wiring running up the side. Mm-hmm. And I was the idiot in like a, a tank top. You know, and so came away with a really nice burn pattern from from wearing the tank top. Yeah. But we got everyone out of the, the helicopter and basically sat in the middle of this summer thunderstorm on this gravel pad, waiting for another helicopter to come pick us up take us to Murmansk and then get an ambulance and go to the hospital mm-hmm. um, where I stayed for three days and basically checked myself out and went back to camp, which was again, 
naive and probably at that point very stupid 24 year old saying, no, I don't need to go back to the States for treatment. I'm, I'm good. I want to finish the season. And then came back to camp and walked into this situation with the camp manager being overly aggressive. Yeah. And, um, and you're literally broken. I'm literally broken. I'm not in the condition to defend myself <laughs> No, at that point. Right. And ended up getting, which he obviously took advantage of. He did. You were the weaker link. I was the weaker link. Um, in very bad condition at that point yeah. and mentally a little fried mm-hmm. you know it's it was a lot to process at that point in time which he certainly saw and um pressed his advantage mm-hmm. there i think ended up getting into an altercation with him turned into an assault and luckily by that point my guide team which was mostly russian i had some international guys in there as well saw the situation and stepped in and intervened helped me get out of my tent at the time and basically moved my tent in between two of the biggest guides tents. Mm -hmm. So I had now kind of an army of big brothers and the camp mechanics were there kind of watching as well. Had army of big brothers kind of helping guard, but it turned into a, um, very, very long, complicated story short turned into this camp manager saying, sleep with me or I'm pulling your visa. We had had to leave all of our passports in Murmansk at the office for the camp. Mm-hmm. And I, of course, gave a middle finger to that proposition and had three days to get out of the country. Because he pulled quickly. your visa. Because he pulled my visa. Yeah. And so I'm 24 with no ticket out of the country, two and a half hours from the nearest town. and being told, okay, you have 72 hours to get out of Russia. Yeah. Two and a half hours, not by car. By helicopters. helicopters. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it was a very... Um, very stressful situation, you know, and to top it off, I'm, I'm physically broken. I was very sick mm-hmm. um, because we had, of course, stayed up once we put guests to bed at night. That's when the stuff was like, oh, it's daylight. It's great. Let's go fishing. That was our fishing time. Mm-hmm. So I had been, you know, through all this and also not sleeping by my own mistake mm. and was able to get to Murmansk with the help of some of the mechanics in camp. Um, got to Murmansk, was stuck there in a hotel for about 30, 32 hours probably, and was able to get onto a plane, ended up bribing my way on onto the plane in the airport. Yeah. I had the ticket and they were able to see the issue date of the ticket versus the date of departure. Mm-hmm. And the gate agent, I'm sure, looked at me and thought, this girl's a mess. She really wants to get on this plane. Let's get a little cash. Mm. Um, and at that point, fortunately, I, I knew enough to keep what money I had from tips in camp most of it hidden away in my pack and yeah. keep a so couple hundred on me. That's such a good uh, travel yes. tip. Let's talk about that because I think a lot of, I mean, you opened my eyes to that even. Mm-hmm. It's a phenomenal idea. So go ahead, go into Absolutely. detail with that. Dividing your money and I think making sure you have many different bills. It's easy to say, say you're going to Mexico on a trip and you, you think, okay, I need a thousand dollars cash with me for incidentals, meals out, whatever. It's easy to go to the bank and pull out $100 bills. Guess what? That doesn't work very well at a local restaurant when you buy a $5 taco and need to play with a US $100 bill. Mm-hmm. So having plenty of cash on you and smaller dominations and being ready to store some of that cash in secondary and even tertiary places. I usually keep three or four different stashes of cash in different bags. Mm-hmm. I'll have some in a Pelican case, some in my backpack with me always in an envelope or somewhere hidden and tucked away under something. Yeah. And I keep very little on me in my wallet. So if somehow my wallet gets lifted or I have a gate agent in the Murmansk airport Mm -hmm. saying, hey, girl, you know, 
you need a little something extra or we're not gonna let you on the plane. I can pull it out and make a bit of a fuss and say, oh, here's a little bit. And then finally, in the end, pull out everything out of my pocket, which is not very much and say, look, dude, this is all I have. Help mm-hmm. me out here. Which is exactly what happened. Which is there. exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, but he, I don't know how much cash I had on me at the time, a couple thousand probably from tips. And I think he ended up with a couple hundred, three or four hundred dollars, maybe. Yeah. So if Only I had, because you separated it out and had it in different places. Exactly. And if they had bothered to search the bags, they would have found the envelope and found the cash inside. But mm-hmm. odds are, in most foreign airports, they're not going to sit you down and go through all your bags. Right. I've had it happen before. It does happen. But so let's stay on that path because I think um, a lot of people want more traveling tips and things absolutely. that they can do. So what else have you learned over the years going to foreign countries and even within the U.S. that mm-hmm. things like that that have helped you out? I think having a very clear story on who you are and why you're traveling. I'm always traveling for work. So I'm very, I think in my adult life, I'm 34, I've taken one international trip that was not work-related. And it turned into a work-related trip. <laughs> so having my credentials on me, I'm, I'm press, I'm media, right? So I always make sure I have a letter if I'm on an assignment from someone saying, I'm Jess McLaughlin, I'm here working in in Jordan for Outside Magazine or something and having it documented very clearly. For most people, they're not gonna be working. They're not gonna be on assignment. Have something with you that has like a US home address or has something that proves status of uh, legitimate belonging to of like to citizenship. Exactly. Okay. Citizenship, but also something as simple as like a, an electric bill or something. It's different to have your passport of course, we're going to have that traveling, mm-hmm. but having some document, I find that's more relatable, hmm. if that makes sense. It's a, And maybe you don't look as intimidating. Exactly. Like a spy. Yeah. No, it's it's easy to say like, oh man, look, it's I'm a US citizen. I grabbed my mail before I left home and just stuck it in my bag. And so I've got this, this electric bill with me. It humanizes and you. It humanizes you. Okay. And it makes you more relatable. Okay. Uh, it's good to have paper trail essentially mm-hmm. is what it is. Okay. Um, and coming into a country, again, for me, I'm always working media. So I have my media credentials. I make sure I have letters of assignment with me. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know if we're allowed to curse, ba- very basic line, <laughs> don't be an asshole. Yeah. Um, take your time answering. I Look, I'm a female traveling by myself with typically three or four big pelican cases. Mm-hmm. It looks a little odd. Right? I'm that person pushing a lot of gear through the airport by myself. And I always get pulled aside. When I still had my passport with the Russian work visa, I always got pulled aside. Because they'll look at that, especially in the Middle East, and kind of be like, this is off. This is Mm. not something we see often. Yeah. So get pulled aside and just stay very calm. Often being tired after traveling, crossing time zones, I'm... I'm fortunate in that that kind of works for my favor. I slow down a little bit. I'm not relaxed. I'm exhausted. But that makes my my speech patterns and my thought patterns slow down instead of getting high and tight and anxious. Mm-hmm. And I would always rather err on the side of like loose, tired body language. Keep your voice level and calm. Be very polite. Don't try and pick a fight and be aggressive. And just don't be an asshole when dealing yeah. with stuff that comes up. It helps de-escalate a situation that could be very tenuous, could become very tenuous. Have you found that certain countries, certain cultures, it's better to behave a certain way than another? Absolutely. 
um, different places. I spend a lot of time in, in Latin America and Belize. So they're very used to seeing American tourists come in. Mm-hmm. And I have, I kind of have three different travel outfits that I'll travel with. And Belize, I always go with like a, a purposefully very bright shirt. I think I flew in with it. When yeah. you picked me up at the airport, I had on kind of this coral colored shirt and then like a pair of linen pants. So it looks a little like beachy resorty. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't go in and like my, I'm often down there doing fishing work. I don't go down there in my fishing gear and try and look like I'm someone who just spent a lot of money on a new kit. Hmm. Everything's worn in. When I do have to buy a new bag or a new pelican, I beat it up before I go into the field. The last thing I want to be is that person in the field with new gear that looks very expensive. <laughs> yeah, I duct tape a lot of my camera bags. I've duct taped over labels. Or even just in the society of that area, exactly. like it shows wealth. It's affluent. you're already American. Yep. That's already yeah. That's already showing wealth. Yeah, right. They're on the side, I'd rather be pulled aside for them thinking kind of like. Who's this dirt bag with the kit? Mm-hmm. Then, oh yeah, this girl what has a lot of money. What kind of money can I get this? Yeah, exactly. exactly. And and pelican cases are hard to disguise, right? I've I've done some jobs where I toss them in big old army issue duffel bags, and anyone who's handling baggage knows there's something big, bulky, and heavy in there. Mm-hmm. But it's less obvious when it comes down the ramp in mm-hmm. the airport that hey, this is a pelican case with a lot of expensive gear inside. So just disguising that disguising is too strong of a word. Camouflaging yourself and your gear goes mm-hmm. a very long way. I have a, a travel wallet that is falling apart that I always travel with. I don't have my cute girly Kate Spade leather wallet with me in country. Yeah. yeah. And erring on the side of being cautious, Middle East and basic things, I always have a headscarf. I'd always rather, if I need to go in somewhere, cover my head, again, err on the side of caution instead of a local stopping me and being like, hey, cover your head. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give... Don't draw attention to yourself, blend in. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm 5'10". Sometimes that's that's easier said than done. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't know what that's like. Right. And <laughs> you're, you're lucky in that regard. You have all the room on airplane seats. You're good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, it, and again, some cultures, it kind of is what it is. I did a shoot in Japan where I was in a rural village and literally saw no one who was not Japanese for a week. Mm-hmm. And everyone's, you know fairly petite and, and Japanese. And I'm this very tall, very white girl <laughs> wandering around. Yeah. So it's obvious. And that kind of is what it is. Mm-hmm. But I think erring on the side of caution benefits you hugely, especially as a female traveling alone. You're exactly yeah. right. Just don't draw attention. Yeah. Good, good advice. So you're obviously, your your main focus would be fly fishing, right? Yeah. Fly fishing, a little bit of humanitarian and conflict photography okay but mostly fly fishing and let's say adventure travel i feel like it's safe to say that's more of a male-dominated realm kind of like the firearms area absolutely avenue and stuff what have what have you learned from being in there and you're not the um for us it's gun bunnies right so (laughs) whatever what real bunny real like, bunny not- let's call it a real bunny 100 <laughs> percent r-e-e-l yeah so um you know whatever that is for you was it hard making your way in that field because mm. you you had that difference and i like to um see it as you know we're we're just competent in this field and we just happen to be a chick right absolutely and um Tula said that to me the first time. And when she said it, I was like, yes, that's what I've been trying to articulate. I love that. For years. I just happen to be good at this. And I just, or I'm, you know, I'm good at this skill set. I have this skill set. I've yeah. been 
blessed enough by people who are willing to put their time and effort into teaching me this skill set. And now I'm good at it. And I just happen to be a chick who does it. Like Absolutely. I don't want to draw attention to it. I don't want to make it this feminist thing because honestly, feminism hasn't been good since we got the right to vote. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> and it's gone downhill. Yeah. And I don't know why we feel the need to wear vaginas on our head and march around <laughs> Because what is that doing? What wh Who's watching that and goes, you know what? Mm -hmm. I want to be a feminist. Like what? It helps no one. Anyways, yeah. I could go yeah. off forever on that. And <laughs> we could digress. The reason yeah. that they were really marching. Anyways. Okay. So bringing it back. <laughs> I don't, like that's not what I'm doing, right? I just yeah. happen to be a chick who does this stuff and can relate maybe on a different platform to certain people because of that, right? right? Absolutely. So what did you find in your realm? Um, Cause I, I'm, I'm not knowledgeable about, I can do this. That puts you ahead of much of the population. <laughs> trust me. <laughs> uh, no, I think it's, I would love, and I'm a, I'm at preschool level in the gun world. I would love to advance through that. I really enjoy what I do know, which is very little. Yeah. Um, we'll do plenty with that. I'm excited. When I'm not All pregnant. Right. Yes. Yeah. I think, I'm with you. I get very frustrated at the people who believe they're entitled because I'm a girl. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, whoever is most competent at doing the job should have the job. Yes. I don't care if it's I don't a care. girl, Scholar, boy, a size, yeah. gender. Nobody cares. It should be based. Can you do the job? Exactly. Based on competence in the given skill set. Yes. And preach. We, we've gotten away from that as a society. Everyone wants to check diversity boxes. We all want to be victims. Yes. And all victims does is perpetuate weakness. Yep. And if you laziness. act like a victim. Yes. And laziness. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, I, I love what you just said there. If you act like a victim, things, it spirals downhill. And that again comes back and to- And you never have the respect. You never have the respect and that ties back into almost what we we're just talking about with travel safety. Um, if you act like a victim, guess what? You're gonna be a victim. Yeah. Uh, and that's that doesn't always go the other way. Sometimes you're a victim mm -hmm. and that just is what it is. Yeah. Um, but if you act like a victim, the reality is you are a victim. Yeah. And coming into a male, very male dominated industry, mm -hmm. there's absolutely a gun bunny equivalent and fly fishing. And fly fishing is a very small insular world mm -hmm. for better, for often worse. Yeah. And we have the social media real bunnies. I, I loved your term. Yeah. Where it's it's girls who they photograph very well and they date photographers who get them lots of photos of them holding big fish yeah. that they probably didn't catch. Mm -hmm. And they they make six figures in sponsorship money and they got flown all over the world to fish. Trust me, I've photographed many of them around the world for clients. Mm -hmm. Very nice girls, can't fish for shit. Yeah. And I, I guess kudos to them. They found a way to make a living at it. But at the end of the day, and I've done this at so many trade shows and so many lodges around the world where you kind of get guys coming in, everyone's hanging around at the bar and they're like, yeah, you're a girl in the fishing industry, huh? And right. it's like, let's grab a rod and go to the casting pond, go out to the dock and let's have a casting competition. Grab a drink, head out there. And it's gotta be the same in your world as well. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to back up what you market yourself as. Absolutely. And I love coming into something and saying, I'm a brand new beginner, teach me. That to me is one of the most fun things in the world. And just saying, I know nothing, educate me, but Again, for better, probably for worse, I've developed this very uh, finite skill set in fishing. You know, very small world, but I've spent a lot of time in it, 13 years now. So I have this this knowledge base. Mm -hmm. 
And I think Do it's, you think more often than not, I'm curious about mm. this, if you, you know, there may be that initial judgment. Yeah. And and rightfully so, honestly. Absolutely. With all of these gun bunnies and real bunnies, I've termed this. <laughs> I, I love this. Like, we need a little trademark. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> trademark. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, understandably so that there is going to be judgment and everything. Oh, I don't blame um, the guys at all. Yeah. But when they see what you can do, do you not normally find that there isn't that that I don't know how else to say it. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but douchebaggery. <laughs> That's fair. That they are like, oh, okay. Like she actually knows what she's yeah. doing and will support you or at least give you your lane, you know? Absolutely. And it's not it's not like the constant narrative in society that, you know, men are bad. It, no. Men, men are the reason why I am where I am. Same. Because I had a partner who believed in me and put tons of time and knowledge to me multiple men That's but awesome. especially one who you know did that and then even my training in the police department on the SWAT mm -hmm. team firearms when I got my instructor certification for law enforcement in North Carolina all of those are men yep obviously they can't be that bad right I like they need men. credit and yeah. all all women do lately is just bash them it drives so. me crazy I would always you would be one of like the three notable exceptions. I would always rather work with men than women. Mm -hmm. And I've turned down so many shoots and jobs over the years because it's like, it's the girl's trip or the girl's shoot. Women are vicious. Women are vicious and women. And they get intimidated. And if they, yeah. if you are a possible um, person who's going to steal their yeah. limelight, they'll break you down instead of trying to build you up. They will. It's and very I, sad. I find more women and again, we're, we're two women in male-dominated industries, mm -hmm. but more women are in positions that they are incompetent in than men. There are a lot of incompetent men out there as well, but mm -hmm. I find that a lot of women have ascended to these positions, at least in the fishing industry. I don't know the, the parallel for you, because they photograph nice or they outright sleep their way to the top mm -hmm. or the middle, wherever they end up. And that's just accepted. That's part of the way the industry, you know, if you're at a trade show, they're going to be in a different bed every night. Um, and that's, that's the industry. I don't think that's right at all. Still even to this day. Still to this day. Oh, wow. it's, I go to a bunch of trade shows in January and that I will see the girls doing their rounds. Hmm. And like, I've that's made it very clear in my career. I, I never do any of that on the job. I don't yeah. date anyone in the industry because once you get that reputation, because that notion is yes. so prevalent, you're never going to lose that. Whenever women come to me and say, like, what advice do you have for me mm -hmm. being a police officer or trying to, you know, make it on the SWAT team and all of that, my biggest thing is your reputation is everything. Absolutely. If you sleep around, even if you have, you know, good intentions or even you just cross the line a little bit, you being a little too flirty or something, yeah. you are setting up a narrative that will be written whether or not you do the act or not, because 100%. we it is just the facts, we are held to a different standard because yeah. a guy can sleep around and it's not as big of a deal. Their reputation and their workability and their mm -hmm. career, nothing changes with that, right? Right. But when you do it, not only are you doing it to yourself, but you're doing it to every woman in that place. Exactly. And if you are the gun bunny or you're just, you know, a police officer to get a husband or whatever it is, you're doing that and that reputation to all women. 
like knock yeah. it off. Yeah. I'm <laughs> You're so making tired me of it. Hard, my job harder. Well, and it makes it harder for those of us who don't play those games because exactly. that expectation is now set. Yeah. And, and nothing, it's never worth it. It's never worth it. And I find it really, it's interesting every time I fly in somewhere and go to a different lodge or a different location with people I haven't worked with, I get one of two reactions. The guide staff, and it's fishing lodges, fishing guides, everyone talks. Mm-hmm. They either say, oh, cool, we have a photographer coming. We're going to have so much fun. Let's do some really cool stuff with the photographer. Uh, or you get this thing of, oh, no, there's a woman coming with a camera. She's going to be a pain in the ass to deal with. Mm-hmm. There's this expectation that she's either going to sleep around or be very high maintenance. And mm. we can go on a whole different tangent with the high maintenance yeah. crowd. Yeah. Uh, but that's immediately where people's mind goes. Typically, it's, it's oh, no, there's a girl mm-hmm. coming. And then you add on photographer and it's just kiss of death. Yeah. And then we we get there, and I often spend the first day in camp just hanging out with people. We'll set cameras on the table and not touch them, let people get used to seeing the cameras, and just get used to seeing the cameras with me and have lenses pointed at them. I will say, to go on that tangent now, <laughs> media. No I think media. you're the only media person, uh, like journalist aspect, that I, I like. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> so I, how do you, uh, how do you battle that? Because mm-hmm. so much of journalism is not journalism anymore. Oh, it's editorialization. It's yeah. terrible. It's, it's opinion. It's opinion. Yeah. And if it was broadcast as opinion, then fine. You know, there's opinion yeah. pieces all the time, but opinion is not truth. Yeah. So, um, how have you kept a, a good reputation in this world where, mm-hmm. Honestly, journalism has lost its, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Pregnant brain. It well, basically doesn't exist anymore mm-hmm. in very few spots. It's lost its objectivity, maybe. Um, objectivity, yes. I So when I first started out, I did a couple newspaper jobs. I was staff at daily and weekly newspapers thinking, oh, this is cool. I want to get in and, and go the traditional media route. Mm-hmm. And I saw very early on, one was a small town weekly newspaper in like rural Wyoming. So you would think for Wyoming, you're talking to ranchers and oil field guys. I still had an editor who was not a native Wyomingite, had moved in from the West Coast, who would censor stories, essentially, and edit them to his own personal views of news. Hmm. I think I lasted six months. I basically did a winter. When was that? What year? This was 2013. 13. 13. Yeah. It's uh, 10 years ago and it was already It was already happening. Going downhill. In small town, this is Pinedale, Wyoming. For yeah. anyone who knows, it's not far from Jackson Hole. Blue collar. Very, yeah. You would think blue collar and the newspaper editor just edits news to the way he wants to see the world. And of course, and that does not go over. You move well. on to New York Times and right. Wall Street Journal, which we yeah. all know which way they cool. lean. Yeah. No, it's... It, I'm... To the point now where I really don't write much for New York Times and Wall Street Journal because mm-hmm. the few pieces I've written, they'll, they'll, and again, I write, in my mind, news reporting should be news reporting. You report what actually happened, something that you see with your own eyes. That's not what these outlets want. Mm-hmm. And so when I work Is with Is there them, anywhere that wants just... Very few places. Some of yeah. the international papers will actually run news, but you still have to filter through it. Mm. Um, I write very little actual breaking news type stories from the field anymore. If I'm doing something uh, that would be newsworthy, often I'm pulling smaller stories out of that and running it with someone like the Field Ethos Journal or uh, Outsides taking some swings lately, but running Mm -hmm. it somewhere that's not what we would consider traditional news media. 
Because that will let your work actually be your work. Exactly. Yeah. And let it actually be the truth. The truth. And look, I think end of the day, media, this is a personal opinion, we should inform people of the facts, give yep. people the truth, and let them form their own opinions. Yes. That, that is that is journalism. That is journalism. <laughs> but that is dead, unfortunately, mm. except in very small segments, parts of the world. It's hard yeah. to find those. But it's become such a an editorialized world. And that's what I love about photography. A lot of the news outlets only accept raw files. So you can't have edited the image at all. Mm. Basically, what you see through that viewfinder in your camera is what you're sending the editor. You can't go in and touch it up. You can't Photoshop things in and out of it. And I do love the fact that I have, have outlets I work for they're going to get the, exactly the image I see. And I know they're going to run that raw file as I shot it. Instead That's of cool. I didn't know it. they did that. Yeah. And a lot of places... Um, what is their reasoning for that, just out of curiosity? To keep things honest. Ostensibly, that's the way... So they'll keep that honest. Well, but exactly. Right. Yeah, they'll keep that honest. It's harder to make photos lie. It's still very possible. And we see that a lot. Social media is terrible for it. Mm. Everything's edited... Uh, hugely not everything much of what we see on social mm -hmm. it's not a real representation of the world no Be that's it. why i never use um filter like the yes. filter things yeah or like the things that make my the big bags under my eyes go away <laughs> <laughs> and i also show bloopers all the time because i love it i don't like that's not if i look perfect that's not real it's not there the was one world. dude that was perfect and that was jesus and yep. we're not it <laughs> exactly we're far from it yeah, yeah. but people get so Honesty is hard to find, I yeah. guess. And I think photography is an, a spot where we can be honest and show people kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Yeah. So favorite thing to photograph? I love photographing uh, like conflict zones, war zones, mm. or any kind of any place where there's really raw human emotion. I did a job in Jordan right up near the Syrian border and was photographing refugees coming across and resettling in the camps. Mm. And just for me, it was a very foreign environment working there oh, yeah. and, and the security implications were a little tough and spending this time in these camps and, and staying with these people in their tents and spending the time far at that point out of my comfort zone was really eye opening and getting to know people to the point where they're okay turning the camera on them. And it's, I won't run up to someone and just shove a camera in their face and start snapping. Yeah, you're you need, respectful about it. Yeah, you need to develop a relationship and say, you know, hey, how do we feel about this? Are you okay? And then you get a trust with people. Yeah. But Okay, so I have to ask about this. Mm, okay. uh, breakout. You just yes. went through breakout, which is kind of this... For those of you who don't know, Breakout is a course that we teach and uh, it lasts about five-ish days, depending. And we don't give you a lot of information because right. that's the point. You wouldn't learn anywhere near as much if you went into it prepared. So what are your impressions now that you've been a part of it and witnessed it and journal... What's the... Was a journalist through it. Was a journalist <laughs> through it. That? Photographer yeah. through it. Had yeah. my media vest on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So give me your impressions of what you thought about it. And without, of course, giving away too Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Uh, I came away. I was thinking about this on the drive back to headquarters here today. I wish this was something I had had 13 years ago hmm. when I first started. Because there's so much that I saw the, the 12 students go through this week. 
I learned a lot through it as well, just watching through the lens and kind of through osmosis, but seeing them logic through, how do I manage my money in a foreign country? How do I do these very basic tasks that I had to learn the hard way? Mm. And it's really cool to watch them kind of logic through that. And, you know, they're, they're sleep deprived. They're, they're tired and managing stressful situations yeah. when you're sleep deprived and tired. Way harder. Way harder. And that's something, certainly not everyone will go through it to the extent that these students did. But look, if you you travel halfway around the world and hop time zones, you're going to have three or four days where you're messed up. Yeah. And you're not thinking clearly. And often those three or four days in country are the hardest as you adapt. Yeah. So I I loved it. I wish I could go through it as a student. Selfishly, I came away last yeah. night just being like, oh, I should have just gone through it and and learn these along with them. Yeah. But feel very, very lucky to have watched them go through this. And super impressed with, this is not a, a, a paid plug, but the Fieldcraft staff that I got to meet here. I've, other than, than you, I knew no one here before. Yeah. And coming and meeting these folks, I, I sat in so many rooms this week where I was just like, I'm, I'm among legends. Literally. It's I mean, phenomenal. that's what I, I come to work sometimes. And the training side is just, you have professionals. Yes. You know, like that is, the instructors are not... The bottom of the barrel like these are top tier dudes and you know freaking silver star recipients mm-hmm. and i mean kevin kevin's list is like we'd spend another hour and a half just talking about all the oh, yeah. crazy things he's done yeah and you know even kevin estella with his knowledge of everything you know wilderness and survival Absolutely. and um, Rick and Nate and Jerry and uh, Dr. Mac, who who was great. literally stapled yeah. my husband's head together because <laughs> Rick bumped his head during one of the scenarios and uh, he got to staple it together. But like yeah. these guys are just um, very good at what they do and mm-hmm. knowledgeable of what they do. And we're a great team. Yes. Like nobody hates each other. There's no drama. I was and surprised. Even honestly. like from a female perspective of the fact that I run um, personal security and the active shooter stuff, never once have any of these guys been like, oh, she's a chick. So that's whatever. cool. Like yeah. never. Yeah. These guys are just like, this is a team. Let's make this work. And yeah. it's awesome. It's, I, I love the guys I work with. It makes it so much better. I had so much fun this week with them. And again, learning, I would love to just, I could spend months learning from any one of these guys, mm-hmm. but watching them teach and their different teaching styles you have some awesome instructors here who are able to break down very excuse me very complex things into very understandable steps even when people are extremely sleep deprived which is not an easy task no yeah and and that's what we do right we prepare the civilian world we take the incredible blessing of what we've the skill set we've received and say well Everyone needs this stuff. Like mm-hmm. this can help anybody survive. So let's pass it on. It's Absolutely. like a pay it forward mentality, which is I think why we're successful yep. and why we have people who care about what we do here because that's that's how we see it. Absolutely. And people want to learn. I was really impressed with the students. They came into this having no idea, as you said, no right. idea what to expect. Mm-hmm. It's basically like, here's a very brief packing list. Show up at this date. Good luck. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. And they, they showed up and they rallied. Like yeah. it's but seeing them go through the very natural states of, of flagging and being tired and running yeah. through this and they don't know where they are and what's happening. It takes a certain kind of person to be willing to 
jump into that. Absolutely. And a certain level of trust for us. <laughs> yeah. I think it speaks very highly of Feldcraft because yeah. they're they're willing to show up here and travel for this and then power through it. Yeah. It's really cool. It's to awesome watch. to see the transition as a human too. Yes. The confidence. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And their own their own empowerment and and realizing we can do so much more mm-hmm. than we think we can do. Yes. Like our mind stops us so much, but physically we were created to do amazing things. Mm-hmm. You just got to combat that mental block sometimes. Absolutely. So from the civilian world, since you understand that world a little bit better, yeah. Um, what were the big takeaways from Breakout that you think the students took away from it, if any? Mm. I think what you just touched on, kind of the the ability to push beyond their perceived mm. stopping zone. You know, their their max zone. There were a couple of times specifically through this week where I know they're exhausted, I know they're tired, they're they're have been working very hard. And you see them kind of freeze. It's just like, I'm done. I'm mentally done. And then they'd have an instructor right there being like, no, do this. They don't even give them too much time to think. Just like, yes, do this, keep moving, do this. And the students would do it and then come across on the other side like, I just did this. This is so cool. Yeah, I was just about to quit, but now look at I got here. Exactly. And they've expanded that comfort zone and that mm-hmm. ability zone so much further. Yeah. And I think being willing to to go beyond, again, their perceived kind of stopping point mm-hmm. and have the resil- resiliency to get beyond that point and then keep trying new things. Several of these students, you could just see them growing leaps and bounds. Yeah. Which is really... There are not many places in modern society where you get to do that. Yeah, everything's so cush now. It's very comforting. Everything's about yeah. comfort. And we've lost, like, can you imagine if we went back to a World War II era? Absolutely When <laughs> yeah. When there was nothing left and you had to just make bombs and... <laughs> and just figure it out. Figure it out, yeah. And I think people as a whole, we're... People are very lazy. Mm-hmm. And... Again, you start comfort zone. Entitled. Hugely entitled. Entitled. Yep. And seeing people. Our generation. It really started with our generation. Our generation's terrible. Try dating in our generation. It's horrible. (laughs) Oh, it's absolutely terrible. It's really. It's difficult to find people who can, A, think outside of of a box, whatever their given box may be. And then, B, it's very hard to find people who can think outside that box and then step beyond that box and have that Mm -hmm. willingness and that drive to say, okay, I'm going to push myself. And the students this week pushed themselves and then left very different people. I mean, that's a Mm -hmm. lot of transformation. You could tell when they uh, came back into headquarters here in North Carolina, the, the feeling, the aura, whatever you want to call it, was far different than when they left. Yeah. There was something about a mentality change. Like, I don't know whether it's like the warrior mentality or whatever that is, but when you push yourself to that brink and you do things that are challenging like that, you open up another part of mm-hmm. an unknown, maybe locked part of who you are. Absolutely. And I think it just makes you such a better person. Yeah. If you've never experienced challenges and trauma and and hard times that you've had to just figure out and and get to the other side. Yeah. You're probably kind of lame. Right. <laughs> no, and you've 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 lived a very cushioned life. I don't think you can know yourself until you're in one of those 
oh shit situations. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, we talked about Russia. I had obviously many of those situations in Russia where it's like, I need to figure this out or I'm getting like picked up by the the FSB. This is a problem. Yeah. Um, And it it felt very much at the time, I remember stepping back and being like, this feels like I'm in a bad James Bond movie. Yeah. But this is my life and I need to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And it's on me. And until we're in that situation, and it's it's scary and very uncomfortable in it. Yeah. But we figured and out. People and always will ask you, like, how did you do it? Would it, you just do it? You, you don't do have it. another choice. And exactly. that's what these guys had to go through. Yeah. Like they had no other choice. We took their yeah. phones. We took their keys. We took a lot of a lot of things, right? Absolutely. So that they 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 had no other choice but to just do it. There is no other option. There is. There's it. no out. Yeah. yeah. And it's awesome to see the transformation. So from a civilian world, how was there anything from this that you think can translate into um, civilian life? Like whether learning aspects or skill sets or what do you think? There's so much. I think everything... um Everything and I, it's difficult too without giving too much of the course away. I know because there's so much. Cool I keep stuff having in the to course. stop myself. <laughs> yep, I know. I'm, I start to say something and I can't. I don't want Kevin to get mad. Just storm in here and shut us down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think there are. I'll just say this: there are skill sets that they learned, different skill sets each day in each scenario mm-hmm. that translate directly into everyday life. And I heard several students talking about, "Oh, this is going to change X, Y, Z in my life." Throughout oh, the week, that's cool. you know, I'd, I'd pass them in a, a stairwell or in the woods or something. I'd, I'd walk by them and they'd be quietly talking amongst themselves. And several times it was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to think about something differently. That's awesome. And the fact that they're to their credit in the field and exhausted and logicking th- through like, yeah, my thought process has now changed. My thought pattern has changed. Again, there's not much in modern life that does that to you. Yeah, I think it's a very powerful thing. Absolutely. Well, we could go on and on. And it's, I think it's been, what did we realize? 13 years since we've seen each other? I think 21. Oh, 21. It's been a while. Yeah, that's right. 21. 21. It won't be that long next time. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. Okay. A lot of miles, basically. It's crazy. It's so fun that this is um, something that we get to do right now. If you would have asked... (laughs) <laughs> the third grader or fourth grade me, if this would happen, I would have been like, what? <laughs> yeah. I think we both would have been very confused. I'm going to be doing yeah. what? When? Where? Yeah. Wait, how? Yes, I'm in. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I think we would have we would have signed up for breakout as fourth graders and oh, been totally yeah. lost, but had a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Even our imaginations back then was not the typical. No. No. <laughs> I, remember, I remember getting in in trouble sometimes because you and I there was that field next to the school and we would just go off yep apparently that's a frowned upon storm the the playground I remember we had a few stormings of the playground oh yes yep oh yes yeah awesome well thank you for being here today Jess where can people follow you and hire Mm. you and all that tell us no, thank you. Um, I'm very web searchable, for better or worse. So Jess McLaughlin Media is my business. That's the website. And spell and McLaughlin. McLaughlin. It's a terrible last name. It's M-C-G-L-O-T-H-L-I-N. And Instagram's a great place to follow and get some behind-the-scenes look at some of this travel stuff we've been talking about. I'm often yeah. posting stories saying, you know, hey, I'm in this airport. This just happened. Yeah. And I like to share little bits and pieces there. And that's Jess underscore McLaughlin underscore media. 
Yeah, definitely follow her Instagram. She's first of all, she's got awesome photography on <laughs> it. And all of the words are not for nothing. They're all wisdom or I don't know about tips <laughs> or uh, cool stories. It's uh, she's definitely worth following. You won't get the stupid random crap that a lot of places do. So thank you again, Jess. Anything Anything else I'm forgetting? No, thank you for having me. And I'm, I think I'm still in my field clothes from breakout. Um, yeah. I wish I could go back and do it all again. It's, yeah. I was saying today with some of the instructors, it feels like we were gone for a very long time and also a really short time. And I would right. go right back into scenario all over again. This was That's awesome. Exceptional. So thanks for well, having me. We will definitely be doing more with you soon. Awesome. So get ready. I'm you're so about ready. To, you're about to meet the firearm world. Awesome. No, I'm, I'm so, like I said, I'm a preschool level, but I'm keen to jump in. So let's do it. We're jumping way in deep end. <laughs> Good. No floaties. No floaties. Not <laughs> happening. All right. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.